Jen, it's Fantasy Festivus and time to air your fantasy grievances. Who let you down this week? Well, I could go with the, the low-hanging fruit, which would be Antonio Brown, right? I mean, unless you were in some sort oh. of a cave, you're aware. He bailed mid-game, screwed all the managers that started him in the title game, screwed everyone that played him in DFS. But I'm actually not going to go with him because that's too low-hanging, too obvious. I'm going to go with George Kittle because the guy has been, you know, he was heard and then he wasn't, and he's been great, but of course – in the, the title game, he had one catch for 29 yards, which Oof. helped nobody. So Kittle is my is my fantasy grievance for Week 17. Killed me. Killed me. Now, uh, I my whole team let me down, so I can't really put it all on Kittle. <laughs> but uh, killed me in the championship as well. I'm down. I'm down to complain about George Kittle. Now let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the most accurate podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Niles, and with me are my excellent co-hosts, Jen Akins and Chris Allen. Chris, how's it going, buddy? Uh, I'm a Bengals fan. I know y'all have heard me say that a number of times in the show, so I'm doing great. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. Uh, I, I, I'm super excited. I'm sure we'll get into a number of things that happened for Cincinnati and just around the league in general uh, here in just a few minutes. But no, otherwise... Uh, week 17 is just about over recording it during the Monday night game, which essentially means the end of the fantasy season for 2021. So I'm just happy that everybody's been able to get to it. I hope the folks that are listening have been able to get to the end of the year with some fantasy championships in hand. But otherwise, with everything that's happened this week from COVID to bad weathers to trades to injuries. I mean, to all the things that we've had to endure throughout the season, I'm just glad that we're able to make it here and hopefully everybody comes back for 2022. So I'm just excited for the off season, excited to get a chance to rest, maybe take a nap or enjoy a Sunday without having to watch my teams just completely implode or watch George Kittle only go for a couple of catches, things like that and not have to tilt into the stratosphere on a Sunday afternoon as we have for the last 17, 18 weeks. Otherwise, I'm doing okay. Uh, Jen, outside of being mad at George Kittle, how are you doing? I am doing well. Um, in a non-NFL-relevant situation, my alma mater, Georgia Bulldogs, won the Orange Bowl against my sister's alma mater, University of Michigan, which was pretty nuts. The two teams have not met since – in our, either of our lifetimes, right? They hadn't met since 1965. Um, so it was kind of it was kind of sketchy in, in, in the in the household, and my sister actually went to the game. Uh, but anyway, Georgia won, and uh, much to the chagrin of most people who hate the SEC, uh, we get a rematch for the national championship game against Georgia Alabama. So I'm excited, looking forward to that. Um, but back to uh, fantasy football and the NFL. Like you said, I'm psyched to to wrap it up and, and kind of get some rest. It's been a crazy season. I mean, it's kind of been the end of the season kind of was what we all thought last year would be COVID wise, but here we are. And uh, I'm glad we're all kind of limping to the finish line. And hopefully, like you said, um, our subscribers and listeners uh, won some titles, maybe won some cash, won some trophies, whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, I'm excited that we're here at the end and um, I guess we can go over our, our surprises from the week. Uh, Chris, what do you got? So, of course, I mean, I have to start with the biggest surprise, at least for me. I don't know if there's a diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan out there that had the utmost confidence that Cincinnati was going to be going to be able to pull this one off. But 
seeing them be able to go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes. I saw some folks in comments uh, saying about the the referees and some of the things that weren't called, the generous spot on a pass to Jamar Chase that was in the third or fourth quarter, if I'm remembering correctly, that ultimately helped them win the game. I know there were some missed calls or whatever the case may be, but I could not believe the fact that Joe Burrow and the rest of the offense was able to hang in there play Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs straight up and come away with the victory, win the AFC title. I mean, it's just, I, in my years of being a fan of the Bengals, that goes all the way back to 2001. When I moved down to Cincinnati for college, I never saw a day like this coming where we would be able to not just secure the AFC North, but also do it in such a fashion against a team that we would consider to be a Super Bowl contender in the Chiefs. And Gerald Burrow, I mean, he did it not just, I wouldn't say single-handedly, obviously he has one of the best wide receiver trios in the entire league. But looking at the changes in the offense, I mean, we had talked about, or a number of folks that had talked about, the fact that Cincinnati had been at least in the bottom half of the league in terms of pass rate over expectation, even neutral down passing or early down passing rates had been fairly low. But over the past few weeks, top three in neutral um, passing in neutral scripts and also Joe Burrow I mean number one in EPA per play over the past few weeks as well so seeing him step up and rise to the occasion being able to bring Cincinnati like to this like this type of victory in that in that fashion at home in Cincinnati on Sunday I mean it was just oh man what what an emotional game like for me as a fan of the team I was just really excited but uh Jen I mean what what were your thoughts I mean about Joe Burrow just about this entire offense and where do we see them going not just for the playoffs for this year but maybe even spin it to 2022 and how we're going to value each of the pieces for Cincinnati in, in during next season's drafts well, first of all, I definitely wouldn't surprise in Burrow, especially last week. Uh, I actually wrote him up as one of my uh, proceed with caution players uh, last week. So I definitely thought uh, against the Chiefs, he was not going to perform as he had done the week before. Proved me wrong. Had a fantastic game. Uh, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for the Bengals fans out there. I know it's been rough. So I think that's great. I think the future looks really bright. And I think that, you know, listen, this season, this draft season, we already were drafting Chase and Higgins and and Boyd to some extent, you know, on on the higher end. I think now Burrow will obviously be upped into that category as well. So I think that... uh, I think that they they will remain higher draft picks, and I think people are going to value them higher heading into the season. I I don't see, you know, regardless of what happens from here on out, if they lose in the first round, whatever happens, uh, they've shown that, you know, they have fantastic chemistry between all of them, and Burrow is a legitimate quarterback, and I think that's exciting for you guys. It really is, and I had some, I didn't have any skepticism in Burrow. I know that a number of folks had some skepticism in the Jamar Chase pick over Panay Sewell or any of the other offensive linemen, if you want to go to Rashawn Slater, so on and so forth. And it looks like at least now sitting here, you know, 17 weeks into the season, it becomes like, hopefully it's fairly clear for folks that taking Jamar Chase was the correct selection for the Bengals. I know the problems along the offensive line still exist, but hopefully the team can address them like over, over the off season. But Brandon, kicking it to you, Joe Burrow. Comeback Player of the Year award? I mean, are you are you behind that? Jamar Chase, Rookie of the Year award. I mean, are you down with either of those two selections? And also, I want to get your thoughts about where do you see this team, like how do you see fantasy managers valuing all the pieces to the Cincinnati offense? Even not just the pass or the passing game, but what about Joe Mixon? 
What about a guy like, or even the, you know, the secondary guys like CJ Uzuma? I mean, is it now going to be a team that we're essentially trying to get all the pieces of like a Kansas City, like a San Francisco? I mean, any of the any of those other offenses that we would really want to try and leave our drafts with pieces of that? Do you see Cincinnati being that for next season? I, I do. You know, Jamar Chase, obviously, to me, offensive rookie of the year, running away. Uh, I, you know, I think. Jalen Waddell, I'd probably put up there. Uh, you know, Mac Jones would be in the conversation. Najee Harris, uh, Creed Humphrey. I know offensive linemen don't get it, but the center for the Chiefs absolutely would be deserving. Uh, but those are all tier two, right? All those other guys. Jamar Chase, tier one by himself, offensive rookie of the year. I I don't even think there's a question behind it. So same with the defensive rookie of the year. It's Micah Parsons oh, yeah. and then everybody else. There's no. There's not, I mean, he's in conversation for defensive player of the year. So right. it's uh, just, just ridiculous. Fun to see the rookies step in and, and do so well in that regard. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see where Chase goes. I You got to think in Dynasty, he's probably going to be maybe the wide receiver one, two, or three. I can't imagine he'll fall further than that in Dynasty. In redraft, I think he's still going to be a top five, top ten uh, wide receiver drafted. Burrow's a little more interesting to me. Um I have a lot of Burrow, and none of my teams with Burrow made the playoffs. <laughs> so Burrow did a lot of I, – I have a feeling, and this is very anecdotal, but I have a feeling Burrow did a lot of the last two weeks sitting on rosters that were out of the playoffs yeah. because he didn't do um, as much. That being said, good to see him do it, uh, and I, I do think – We'll be buying this offense, and I think we'll be buying Burrow going into next season. Uh, but as a quarterback, uh, a fantasy quarterback, and where he's going to get drafted, I feel like this might be a situation where those who didn't draft him last year might remember these past two weeks and draft him a little higher than maybe he should go. <laughs> um, you know, because last year we were drafting Justin Herbert in the seventh round. And if Burrow starts going higher than the seventh round, I think there's going to be value to get at the quarterback position. I'm not sure if, if, if you feel the same way, but I, I'm, I'm worried about where Burrow's ADP is going to wind up. No, and I think that's a fair concern because if we look at just the shift in fantasy drafting for uh, a lot of us over the past season where we've seen all the rushing quarterbacks are now where folks have gone from Josh Allen to Kyler Murray. Uh, I mean, of course, Patrick Mahomes probably sits up there in a tier of his own. Lamar Jackson. I mean, Dak Prescott to some degree. Uh, Jalen Hurts has now become a stronger force, at least towards the middle range in terms of uh, rushing quarterbacks, or at least like fantasy quarterbacks overall. So I think afterwards, I think Joe Burrow would probably be in the quarterback, let's say, 9-10 discussion. But with so many of the Russian quarterbacks now being at least higher in terms of ADP, the question now becomes, Do that do uh, does Burrow warrant a middle round pick? Because if we're now talking about Russian quarterbacks in the 4th, 5th, 6th round, we have to assume that a lot of the high tier pocket passers, which I would still consider Joe Burrow to be, I don't think he's essentially rushing. He's, he's certainly not rushing like he yeah. was during his rookie season. But does he warrant an eighth round pick or a ninth round pick, which I'm assuming is his ADP will probably settle in somewhere around there. Because if we're going to be drafting all of his pass catchers, because I'm assuming Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, they're probably going to be treated somewhere almost the same way that the Rams wide receivers were treated. So like middle-ish third round, somewhere in there, if not higher for Chase. 
and then Boyd will probably be a fifth, sixth round pick, somewhere in there. So if all of his pass catchers are going to be in the single digits, I would assume Burrow would be coming shortly thereafter in like the seventh, eighth, ninth round, somewhere in there. So I do think it, it, it does bode some conversation about how we should value quarterbacks as a whole, which is something that I'm probably going to wind up doing an article or two about like over the offseason. So I do have some trepidation in, trying, in taking a guy like him at cost versus being a little bit more aggressive on the Josh Allens of the world, the Kyler Murrays of the world, knowing that you can get that rushing floor on top of the passing acumen as well that we've seen from any of those guys like so far over the past few years. So I, I do agree with you that it's it's going to be something of a concern and that it bears watching like as soon as some of the best ball lobbies and mock drafts and all that stuff starts opening. But I don't even want to get into that right now. I, I mean, wanted to I wanted to get Jen's take on these three rookie receivers that that um that all finished within the top 15 about wide receivers. I know we're, uh, this is surprises. We're talking Bengals, but uh, Jen, you know, Jamar Chase, number eight, Amon, Amon Ross St. Brown, number nine, Jalen Waddle, number 12 over the second half of the season amongst wide receivers. Uh, Jen, where are you looking at these sophomore receivers now as they go into next season? Are you excited about them? Are they going to be making a, an appearance in those early rounds? Or would you trust that? I know it's really early, but I, I'm always curious your take because you have such a measured view on rookies. Uh, interesting. I, I, it's funny. I thinking about next year is, is not there for me right now, but at the same time we should be, I think, you know, they all, I, I guess St. Brown was the biggest surprise, of course, um, being as though he had, you know, not, not an ideal quarterback situation ever, uh, you know, going from golf to don't, you know, uh, yeah, it, not great. But um, I think Waddle was someone that we kind of Waddle and Chase both were, were players that were being drafted, I think, appropriately. St. Brown kind of came out of nowhere um, to come on at the end of the season, I should say. So I think all three of them, I think Chase will probably be uh, overvalued, I think, um, at, kind of along the same lines as you were talking about Burrow. I think he's, his ADP is going to shoot you know, drastically up. And listen, I mean, he obviously was a league winner. I mean, he scored like 50 points yesterday. So I think that, um, you know, he he's someone that, depending on kind of where he ends up, like if he ends up in that, you know, in that second round, you know, kind of where Ridley and, 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 and Allen Robinson and where those guys were going this year, I don't know if I if I jump on them. But I think Waddle and St. Brown should be somewhat affordable kind of in that, you know, if you're going – if you're going zero RB and you want to kind of load up in the, in those early to, to mid rounds, I think those should be there. And I think it also depends with St. Brown on the quarterback situation. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do in, in Detroit, whether Goff is still going to be there or whether they get someone else, they get a free agent, they draft someone else. I don't know what they're going to do there, but uh, um, it definitely will be interesting to see what happens um, with all three of them. Uh, yeah. I mean, St. Brown, can be considered a league winner too. You know, I don't know. I don't know exactly how many points he had yesterday, but those that started him were very happy. Two touchdowns. Absolutely. Chris, I, I derailed your surprises. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Because I, I know that we're going to wind up having the same conversation at some point during the off season as to how to value some of these guys. And since, I mean, you were talking about some of the wide receivers, that's the perfect segue into my next surprise. And I mean, Tyreek Hill, I mean, is, is he still, I mean, I know he's like the chiefs wide receiver one, He's still the one out there running the most routes. I mean, even from a target share perspective, he is taking the most targets away from any of the other ancillary guys uh, in Kansas City. But is he on the same level 
in terms of wide receiver one value as a Devontae Adams. I mean, over the past couple of weeks, we've seen blow up games from Byron Pringle. I mean, we've seen blow up games or not blow up games per se, but at least like Michael Hardman getting into the mix. I mean, Josh Gordon got a couple of targets this past week, whereas we haven't seen Tyreek Hill have those Tyreek Hill games. So it's break the slate, almost like things that we were expecting out of him. He hasn't cracked 100 yards, I mean, in a, in a few weeks as well. So my question is, I mean, I know for a number of folks, they probably can't expect for that to continue uh, going into 2022. But let's say for the animals that are playing or have stuff to play for in week 18, I mean, Jen, do you have any concerns about Tyreek Hill to close out the fantasy season and even into 2022 now that they have at least other young players that will certainly be back or a part of the team next season? I mean, is this now a larger committee for Patrick Mahomes? I mean, or, should, or do we consider Tyreek Hill to be an alpha on his team? I think he's going to be fine. I think that he's had a – if you look at the numbers, I think he's the wide receiver six on the season still. Like, it's not like he's fallen out of, of wide of fantasy wide receiver one territory. Um, I'm kind of thinking that possibly maybe COVID was more of a thing for him than not. I don't know. I mean, because he really, you know, he was out with COVID and then he hasn't been great in the last couple of weeks and they haven't been using him as much. Maybe he's not feeling fantastic. I don't know. That's complete and utter speculation. But I feel like Tyreek will be fine next, you know, next season, I think. I don't know if he's necessarily a first rounder, right? Like he was this year. He was kind of a late first rounder, like you said, with Devontae Adams. He may fall into, you know, the late second, early third, um, just based on recency bias and people thinking that he wasn't great, even though when you look at the numbers, he's actually wide receiver six on the season. So um, I think as far as this week goes, um, the Chiefs have a little bit to play for, right? I mean, they do have to win. Um, if they win, they'll be number two in the AFC. Um, and then if they lose, they can actually slip down to fourth because they uh, they lost in head-to-head to both the Bengals and the Bills, who are, are right behind them. So um, I guess that they are somewhat motivated, so they might play him. I don't know if they'll play him, you know, the entire game or anything like that. And I don't know if we need to worry about Pringle and Hardman. I just feel like those guys always have these kind of boomer bust games and then people are like, Ooh, is Pringle a thing? And then he's just not, you know, consistently. So I feel like Hill will be fine. I think he's just had an off couple of weeks. Uh, I think, you know, his numbers prove that he's still a fantasy wide receiver one, regardless of kind of his, his slide. Sure. And I mean, Brandon, kicking it over to you real quick. I know that from weeks 10 through 15, like by the numbers, you really need to take all the rest of the wide receivers that are attached to Kansas City in order to equal the number of targets that Tyreek Hill had. He had somewhere around 42 to 45 targets over that five-week span. But now looking at what's happened over the past couple of weeks, sure, and Jen brings up an excellent point in that him coming back from COVID in week 16 likely dampened his outlook for week 16. But even week 17, despite the fact that he led the team in targets, it wasn't by a massive margin, at least from a yardage perspective, like from a from a routes run perspective as well. So it's just, should we, I mean, are you also in Jen's camp and that we shouldn't have anything to worry about? It's Tyree Kill, it's Patrick Mahomes, let's not even really figure or worry about Michael Hardman or Byron Pringle. I mean, this is more of just a two to three week blip. And once we get into 2022, especially during like the draft season and whatnot, we'll forget all about it. And Tyreek Hill will essentially be the guy that we want for Kansas City. Are you in that camp? I'm going to hedge. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that wishy-washy thing where I, <laughs> I provide nothing helpful. <laughs> Merk! Uh, Merk! I, yeah. I, I'm you're overall saying you're calling Merk? 
I'll have a murky answer. That's how it'll go. Um, I, 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 I'm with Jen mostly, right? That it's fine. I'm not going to worry about it. All those ancillary pieces, they might, the sum of it might be a good fantasy wide receiver too, but good luck picking uh, which one it's going to be. I, I get that. Uh, the one, the other thing I will say, Tyreek Hill, five games this year with less than 10 PPR points. And that's, you know, 2020 only had one game with less than 10 PPR points the whole season. So I, I do worry a little bit, you know, he, he's always profiled as a boomer bust type of fantasy player. He just isn't boomer bust. He just produces, but like his style and, <laughs> and everything about him profiles as one of those guys who's going to explode and then leave you down. Like you would expect based on the way he plays, to be more like a Tyler Lockett type of player. Still a very solid fantasy wide receiver, or like Chad Ochocinco used to be, uh, as uh, I'm sure Chris remembers from his Bengal days. He, he'd be the wide receiver five on the year, but he'd have s- several games that would just oh, yeah. let you down. Mm-hmm. So, so Tyreek Hill, I, I, I wonder if maybe he might shift into that role. And so I, I have like a raised eyebrow. At, at Tyreek Hill. That's what I would say. I'm probably not spending a first round pick on him. Still liking him, but I might liken him to like a rich man's Tyler Lockett instead of a bona fide Devontae Adams wide receiver one. Okay, and I think that might be fair because I think looking at it, like Jen was saying, over the past couple of weeks, he's one had the health issue last week, and then also looking at the fact that he still might be coming out of the COVID fog. Like we'll see if that's if, see if that's part of the issue as well. But also, I mean, can we really put him in the same tier from a target share perspective as a guy like Devontae Adams? And especially with some of the discussion around, well, all of these running backs that we might want to draft. I mean, is he going to be in the uh, in the first round conversation for next season? I don't know. Uh, I really don't. So I think it does bear at least some watching over the offseason. We'll see where ADP shakes out. But I do think for Week 18, I mean, if you are playing in one of those, like, prehistoric leagues that go into Week 18, you're starting them. There's really no reason for you not to. And, like, Jen, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you might have said this already. So the Chiefs do have something to play for this week, right? Yeah, I mean, they're playing for either number two or number four in the AFC. Okay. So at least he should be out there, should be starting and playing the full game. Now we'll see if they wind up, you know, completely blowing out their opponent or whatever, and they have to sit. But at least for right now, you're starting him, and you shouldn't have anything else to worry about. All right, last surprise. And I know that a lot of folks hate seeing this discussion about who is is and who is not a league winner. But I think it's fairly easy to say that with a – two touchdown performance with having over 100 yards before the end of the second half and continuing to build on that amount throughout the rest of the game. I mean, Rashad Penny, I mean, my goodness, I think he has to be a league winner for most folks. I mean, by the numbers over the past few weeks, I mean, he is just, uh, he is behind just Jonathan Taylor in terms of number of yards at 344. In terms of missed tackles, he is number one in missed tackles. I mean, he's also involved in the passing game as well. So it's just, I know that a lot of folks probably aren't too happy about Seattle's offense just because of what's going on with Russell Wilson at the moment. Although if you're rostering DK Metcalf, you're probably not too upset. But either way, Rashad Penny, seeing him come in, take over for, I mean, it was Chris Carson at one point, uh, and then the number of backups they tried to trot out like they're afterwards over the middle of the season to see Rashad Penny come in, take the job, and now essentially turn that into an actual like RB1, I mean, set it and forget it type of uh, type of setup. And with his performance uh, just yesterday, 
Jen, I mean, do you consider him to be a league winner for most folks? And also, again, since we've been talking about it for any of the other surprises, spinning it into next season, I mean, where are you at with Rashad Penny for 2022? Are you in more of a let's wait and see how the rest of, like, the injuries and all that, and even the rust situation works itself out? But just let me know, like, what do you think about Rashad Penny in 2022? Well, I think before everyone gets super excited about Rashad Penny, I think that we need to also kind of look at <clears> – <throat> the opponents that he's been running rampant on, right? I mean, he played, so week 14, we had the Texans. Week 16 was the Bears, and week 17 was the Lions. So before everyone gets super pumped that that Rashad Penny is this massive, you know, I feel like the opponents need mentioning. Um, In week 15, you know, they played the Rams, and he only had 39 yards rushing. So um, while it's exciting that Rashad Penny is is finally healthy and and running well, I don't know if we need to, like, run out there and put him in the same tier as Jonathan Taylor or, you know, any, any of Derrick Henry or any of these other guys. Um, I think from a perspective of his health, I think it's fantastic that he's the guy that people have thought he was going to be, uh, being healthy and been able to run. But I think, you know, and listen, he's in a great spot to do it. Seattle loves to establish. We all know that. Um, he may, you know, get make uh, Chris Carson out of a job that 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 could possibly be but I think we need to kind of wait and see I don't know that I'm going to rush to to put him in that you know top tier of running backs but um if he can remain healthy and and next year he he earns that top spot in Seattle then sure why not I think he's you know it could be an exciting pick I can already hear Brandon yell Merck but (laughs) I have to ask so we have had Chris Carson. I mean, I'm not expecting like Alex Collins to be a larger part of their great, their game plan for 2022, but they have been able to trot out. They trot out like DJ Dallas, Travis Homer. I mean, all of those guys that just kind of come out of the woodwork once Chris Carson went down with it. At least, I mean, we're I'm assuming that they're going to keep Penny because of his, you know his contract and whatever. Maybe bring back Chris Carson, but with everything else that's going on in Seattle, I mean, how are you approaching that backfield for next year? See, uh, you sound really confident they're going to keep Penny. Um, I'm less confident of that. Okay, it, it, they might, but you know, they declined his fifth year option, so he's an unrestricted free agent. He's not restricted, right? So they can't match anything. And the problem with Penny, like this, is what they've been wanting him to do for four years, but he can't stay on the field, and that that sucks for him, and I feel bad for him. But most of this season, he's been hurt. And the reason why, that's why you see Travis Homer, DJ Dallas, Alex Collins in there. It's not because they didn't like Penny. It's because Penny's hurt. And he's always hurt. And he's struggled to stay on the field for that fact. It's one of the reasons Chris Carson found it, uh, was was able to seize that opportunity to take the job a few years back. Is because Rashad Penny couldn't stay healthy and couldn't, couldn't string together more than a couple games. So dial him up next week, absolutely. Uh, but... Running back free agent market, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Running back free agent market, they don't get paid a lot, but Penny is 25 years old, and the injuries are a concern, but it also means he doesn't have a whole lot of wear and tear on those tires. It's very possible you could see a team like Miami or a team out there that needs a running back and has money to spend uh, go out there and think that they can turn Penny into an every down back, considering what he's been able to do the last two weeks. So I'm concerned, but I'm going to let 
the free agency and draft dust settle before I start to worry too much about Chris Carson. Carson also injuries his own issues. Um, we'll see what he looks like coming back. Seattle could have a, a wildly different backfield going into next year. So I, I, I'm not as confident as you are that he'll be back. But if he is and he's healthy, then sure, he's, he's definitely interesting. Don't know that I'm going to invest a lot of draft capital banking on his health. That's fair, and I, I guess my part of my optimism is this: the whole Pete Carroll mantra of if you can prove that you can do your job, then you keep your job. I mean, that's essentially how Russell Wilson became Russell Wilson, right? I mean, he came in and beat out their starter, despite the fact that he had the lower draft capital, and now we have this, essentially, a guy that I think is going to get into Hall of Fame at some point, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, remember that Matt <laughs> Flynn era? That was a good era. That exactly. Was, <laughs> and so I'm assuming Pete Carroll stays. I'm also assuming Russell Wilson goes, and that's and that to me. That's part of my optimism is that like he has a guy that he's been wanting to see this happen for a while, and they'll try and figure something out. And especially if Russell Wilson does go, I'm assuming with what they get back in return, it will give them enough flexibility to bring Penny back. But that's a whole. I mean, well, like you said, I think it's best to kind of let that entire situation, along with free agency, play itself out. And then we'll see what, like, and we can probably have a better read on what we should do from a draft standpoint at uh, at that, like, once that scenario plays itself out, which whatever happens, I know there's going to be a changing the guard at some point here soon for Seattle. So I think that makes the most sense, like, for, for, that, for that team, especially for that backfield, because Penny has obviously been productive. We've seen Chris Carson also be productive in his own right. I mean, last season, he was, not to say he was a league winner, but he was good enough, especially given his draft capital for the 2020 season, to be at least a RB1 for your team when most folks drafted him in that RB1, like back-end RB1, early RB2 range. So I do think there's at least a case to be made for both of them, but without knowing the health of Chris Carson, without seeing if Penny can be healthy for an entire season, I think it provides enough, I guess, uncertainty. And that's just within the backfield, and not even and like we said, we haven't really, we don't know what's going to happen with the rest of the offense with Russell Wilson, so on and so forth. So I, I think that's a fair concern. But uh, that's enough for my surprises as of right now. I mean, Brandon, I mean, talk to the folks about what Underdog has got cooking up for us, especially now with best ball season just right around the corner for 2022. Sure, uh, we're gonna need a friendly wager on what team Russell Wilson starts for. Ooh, in yeah, 2022, because like I'm going to be hard on Seattle. I think he's dead. So, uh, <laughs> okay. so that's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, we'll do a little whiskey bet or something. But uh, listeners, <laughs> listeners, let me tell you about the easiest, most fun way to spice up your football season. It's Underdog Fantasy and their brand new Pick'em game. Just pick over or under on your favorite or least favorite player stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy to use website and mobile apps. Just pick between two and five players, win you some cold hard cash. First-time depositors should head to 4for4.com slash underdog, claim your free 4for4 Pro subscription, and get $10 in bonus cash to play this weekend. Uh, Thoughts for 2022? I want to start, Jen, week 18, uh, always a team or two that's sitting starters. Uh, I I haven't really looked at the scenarios. I know that's something that you're going to be looking into. Uh, First things first, anyone that we should be looking at? Yeah, well, first of all, so yeah, I have an article that'll that'll come out uh, on Tuesday afternoon-ish that will go over every possible scenario. Uh, but right off the bat, I can tell you that uh, the Packers and the Eagles, uh, both their situations are established. The Packers have the number one seed in the NFC. 
Uh, they have home field advantage. They have the first round by. They have no reason to, to have anyone out there. So I would probably sit most of their starters, or if not all. Uh, the Eagles are kind of in not a similar boat, but their fate is not in their hands. So whether they win or lose um, doesn't really matter to them. They, they can either be the sixth or seventh seed, depending on the 49ers. Uh, so it really, I, I would think that Philadelphia would also uh, rest some of them. They, they do have some starters that are injured. So I would think they would probably give them more rest. Um, and, you know, another little wrinkle in that, in that is that uh, they may actually get the Cowboys again. So they play the Cowboys, you know, in week 18, they may actually get them again during the playoffs. So um, you think they might want to kind of keep the cards close uh, and, and not really get, you know, give away too much of their game plan. So they may just kind of roll out whoever um, another scenario that's kind of interesting so the titans the titans are currently in first place in the afc um, and they have a tiebreaker over the chiefs um, so if both teams win they will be you know the, they will be the number one seed and the first round by and home field advantage and all that stuff uh, however if they lose and the chiefs win then they will they will fall down to second so basically the chiefs I guess what I'm trying to say, the Chiefs play on Saturday night. So if the Chiefs lose to the Broncos, then the Titans, it doesn't matter if they win or lose because they have that tiebreaker. So the Titans may sit their players. That was a really long way to get there. But basically, the Titans may end up sitting their players <laughs> if the Chiefs lose on Saturday night to the Broncos. If the Chiefs win, then the Titans will have to win as well, and um, they will play their guys. So hopefully Excellent. that made sense. No, no, that made sense. And uh, Jen's going to write an article about that that's going to pop out. So keep an eye on that and uh, keep it pinned because uh, we it's going to be important to look into our Week 18 matchups if any of us are still playing Week 18. I know my leagues that went all 17 weeks just stayed at 17 weeks this year. So this is the first year ever for me that I don't have a single league in the last week of the season. Um Let's do uh, thoughts for 2022. I want to talk. We talked about Rashad Penny and his pending free agent status. There's several running backs that got second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever opportunities to uh, show what they could do in over the second half of the season due to injuries and whatnot. I'm curious what you guys think about these players and whether or not you think they have futures next year with new teams or coming back on the same team. And I'm just going to rapid fire. I'm going to start with Jen and I'm going to ask, ask you about Sony Michelle. We know Cam Akers is coming back. Sony Michelle has been a good RB one for the Rams for a few weeks now. Uh, do you think he lands anywhere and gets a shot? I hope so. And I think so. I think that, you know, he didn't really, you know, show too much in, in New England. And I think this, you know, this little stint with the Rams has been a good thing for him. Uh, Daryl Henderson getting hurt kind of, you know, opened the door for him and, and he's done well here down the stretch. So I would assume that, that with, with everything in the running back position and as demanded as it is, I, I would assume he gets a shot somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I like him and he's still young. He's still young. Chris, I want to talk about Tampa. Leonard Fournette took that job, played really well this year for the Bucks. Hurt now. Uh, Two-part question, is Leonard Fournette the future running back for the Bucks? And then uh, Ronald Jones is a pending free agent. Can we finally stop thinking about Ronald Jones? Yeah, I just wonder for – well, Fournette, yes. I do think that he had – if he doesn't get brought back to the Bucks for next season, I think he has enough value or shown enough work that he could be viable like elsewhere – uh, depending on his role or what the expectations are for his incoming team, for sure, I think he can be useful. Ronald Jones, I just think he needs a new, like a complete change of scenery. I think he's a decent back. 
It's just that his problems with either uh, one stay, like one being healthy at times, but also his work, his needs in like in terms of pass protection, not being the best receiver out of the backfield. He's just limited and not being able to really get that much work in terms of development because he's playing with the team that's trying to win now. I mean, it'd be different if he was playing with, let's say, I don't know, like Jacksonville or something like that, where the needs for every win like aren't as dire and you're trying to develop your players and you're trying to make sure they get in those so necessary reps. But he could just put in like the worst situation playing with Tom Brady, where if you're not capable of doing the things that you need to do, then you're not going to be on the field. So I do think that I mean, moving him to a, a, to another team, not necessarily as the RB1, he could essentially be in the same role as, let's say, like, I don't know, the guy working behind Christian McCaffrey, if they want to try and bring in another vet to, you know, because Chuba Hubbard's fine. I mean, Amir Abdullah are fine. But if they brought in another guy, like, behind him, that I think that'd be fine. Or even move him to Atlanta. I mean, if Mike Davis is getting a, a, bit, a little bit too old and they want a solid runner, like, over there, he could work there, too. So it's just, I think there are other situations I think that could probably work towards Ronald Jones, his need for development, but then also the strengths that he has, because I think he is a, a pretty decent runner. He just needs to learn a bit more in terms of his that particular skill set. All right. I'm rooting for no Merck. That's what I'm rooting for. I yes. want them all, I want all these guys to either sign with a clear spot or that all of them to sign in Houston so we can ignore them like last year. That's what I want. <laughs> uh, uh, Deontay Foreman, uh, another guy we talked about, Rashad Penny with his year four breakout. Deontay Foreman, another guy we'd all kind of left on the trash heap after, uh, you know, he had the Achilles injury and just never could quite break the depth chart in Houston. Uh, comes to Tennessee, Derrick Henry's down. Obviously, Henry is expected back for 2022. Deontay Foreman's a free agent. Is he someone you could see showing up somewhere and earning a job? I can see him showing up somewhere and marking it up. I mean, let's let's be you know <laughs> let's be real. I think it's great that you know he did the best that he could you know with his uh, with his opportunity, which is great for him. I think he'll definitely get signed somewhere, but I don't know that he'd be a lead back. I think he's going to be somewhere uh, marking it up. <laughs> Merck. I hate Merck. We're going to have all the lots of Merck conversations over the next nine months, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Chris, Melvin Gordon uh, talking about Merck. Merked up uh, Javante Williams all season. Do you think he's going to Merck up Javante Williams some more next year or find somewhere else to Merck? I think he'll probably be somewhere else. I know, I don't, not just because of his work or his usage there in Denver, but it's just his contract situation, unless they're going to try and restructure for another year or something like that, I just don't really see him being there for 2022. So that's, that's a difficult part. It's just more on the financials, but I still think he's a good running back. He was productive throughout most of this season. I really like to see him in a, like in the same role that he's, he's been in right now, essentially either being the one, a one B or something like that to a younger back that has at least a, a similar skill set to what Javante Williams has shown. Uh, one that I I know is probably not going to work, but I would love to see it happen. Uh, but um, if he wound up actually going back to the Chargers, I think that'd be pretty decent. Just be able to oh. play to, to play behind Austin Eckler because the guys that they've tried to trot out behind him, whether it's been Joshua Kelly, I mean Justin Jackson's fine, but I think having Austin Eckler playing up front and then also having Melvin Gordon as kind of like in that slasher role would be pretty decent. I think it would benefit both parties. But I know Chargers are fairly low in terms of cap space, but we'll see how one that works out. But I think him going home. Uh, or at least back to the charge, I think would be pretty decent. But otherwise, I just think given his age, he's what, 27, 28 now? 
I think he still has enough juice in the tank to provide that RB2 type of value, uh, at least to, to both in real life and in fantasy, but it just needs to be the right situation where he's not completely murking it up. And I think going back to the Chargers, I don't think it'd be a complete murk situation. I always think he's older than he is, and I think it's because I forget that he's not Ryan Matthews. I think that's yeah. what it is. I think I, uh-huh. keep, I merge the two together, and it's just one player. That's how it goes for me. Yeah, I, I, I wonder where he ends up as well. Uh, Jen, James Conner, you think he comes back and he's the Arizona guy again? He uh, had a nice season, finished the year hurt, unfortunately. Um, we'll see going into next week if he's active, but uh, been a nice story. Do you think the nice storiness continues next year? I think it could. It's funny. He's another one of those guys that you were just mentioning that I feel like is older than he is. Like, he's only 26, but for yeah. some reason I feel like Connor is older. Uh, you know, right now he's got a heel injury, and but, you know, he was definitely, I think, a good surprise this season fantasy-wise uh, for Arizona. And I don't know, you know, I, I feel like they don't have, you know, Chase Edmonds, between those two, neither of them are a really lead-back material right now so and the committee seemed to work so i don't know why they wouldn't just keep the two but i you know i'm not a i'm not a front office person (laughs) i got one more for each of you since you besmirched uh chris you inadvertently when you talked about mike davis and you talked about upgrading the running back room in atlanta you besmirched fantasy darling cordero patterson uh i i want to offer you the opportunity to explain to me why you doubt him so vehemently on, no. on this podcast is <laughs> <laughs> no. not like a 30 year old breakout like a great story is, is this something that we can look to to 2022 as well or uh or do you think that it's just a one-year thing it has to well i would say from a rational perspective it has to be a one-year thing because Cordero Patterson's role was born out of necessity. I mean, Calvin Ridley stepping away, it's not like we started the season with Cordero Patterson being that guy. I mean, it was Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts were essentially being the ones that were used in that tandem role like uh, for Matt Ryan as, as his primary pass catchers. And after he took his step away, that's when we started to see Cordero Patterson emerge as a, a playmaker. The team needed one. And Calvin Ridley, I think, should have been in that role. Hopefully, I'm yet to see any updates from the team on if Calvin Ridley is going to return, if he's going to be even back for next season at all. But my assumption is Ridley returns to the team. And if that's the case, I would assume now in a year two with Arthur Smith, Kyle Pitts has another year to develop. We started to see him come into his own. I mean, he's... I think he's going to wind up breaking the the rookie record for tight ends, like even though he has the extra game to do it. But still... Kyle he Pitts. Bro- yeah, he broke the yards for. for he did break it like on Sunday. Okay, well, yeah. I knew he. Like, I knew he busted a thousand, but I wasn't sure if he uh, broke Dicker's record or not. Uh, but still, I mean, I think those are the primary pieces of the offense. That I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be. Now that that obviously assumes that Ridley's going to be back. But I mean, Cor- like Patterson has been a good story, but I don't think that was their expectation going into the season. And if Ridley does come back, then I think. Patterson goes back into his role-playing role, literally, I mean, as as being the guy that, all right, they might bring in for certain packages, might be a part of, like, the gadgets, a gadget place that they might run, but we can't expect the same workload if the offense goes back to the way that was supposed to be with Ridley being the forefront of the offense. That makes sense to me. I, I, 
I, I want this to be a sustaining thing. It's hard for me to think that it, that, that you're not correct, though. <laughs> uh, and I was wrong. He's 58 yards shy of Ditka's record. So okay. uh, my mistake. Right. I was wrong. Uh, but he does have over 1,000 yards. One final player I just want to bring up. Uh, Devin Singletary's been an RB1 for a couple weeks now. Buffalo's been using and giving him, all, giving him a full workload. Uh, Zach Moss has been kind of either inactive or not getting a lot of work. Uh, Buffalo's using Devin Singletary. Jen, is this for real or is it just uh a, you know just a couple week stretch here i think it could be for real i mean they clearly are not into zach moss right for whatever reason uh they seem to want to be moving on from him i mean singletary is the rb2 over the last four weeks in, in an offense that doesn't really use their running backs so i think it's interesting i think it's great and i hope that you know this continues because you know less murk right and and buffalo running backs have kind of been off limits for the last few years since josh allen got what there and they mm -hmm. haven't really been using them so i think it's great that you know they actually have a relevant you know running back with, with you know a, a lead back to say so i hope i hope it continues and i hope that uh you know this goes into 2022 me too, me too. I, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. He was one of my favorite running backs in that draft. That was the David Montgomery draft. He was one of my favorite running backs in that draft, so I've been rooting for him. I, I hope I hope it's legit. I really do. All right, let's uh, fantasy season reflection. That's what I'm going to do instead of looking ahead because most people aren't playing week 18. Uh, fantasy season reflection segment. Uh, something you guys did or drafted or a method you used that worked or didn't work, anything you want to reflect on for the listeners. Uh, I'm going to say that, shockingly, I did better in the leagues where I took a quarterback in the first seven rounds. Uh, Herbert in the seventh, Josh Allen in the third, those were my most successful teams. Had a couple good teams where I took Tom Brady in the tenth round. Uh mostly when I kind of invested in quarterback that's where I ended up doing well and I, I kind of think that trend might continue so next year I might be another you know third to seventh round be looking at those quarterbacks see who slides I have a feeling Russell Wilson is going to be a target for me since he'll probably slide uh further after this uh this year so just kind of an interesting thing for me Jen what's your uh fantasy season reflection well I'm usually a you know, pay up for tight end or not at all kind of person. And uh, that continued into this year. And, you know, looking at the numbers, once again, right now, heading into, you know, week 18, the top three tight ends in half PPR points are Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. And those were, you know, three of the four. Darren Waller was a big womp womp, right? He got hurt. And even when he wasn't hurt, he didn't do well. But, you know, once again, the cream rose to the top and everyone else, you know, it's kind of in the middle here. So I think that's one of those things that I, I preach every year, you know, either pay up for tight end or just wait and stream. And, and, and I feel like that's kind of, you know, it happened again in 2021. And I'll probably be rolling that into 2022. Makes sense to me. I know, uh, you know, a lot of those guys we were high on, Gerald Everett, all those guys that we took late didn't work out, and that's how it is every year. It just, it's just Anthony Ferkser. Like, those guys just don't work out. It uh, seems he had like. a touchdown <laughs> yesterday, though. I he saw did. it. I was laughing. I'm like, finally, Ferkser, week 17. <laughs> Sitting on waivers. <laughs> uh, Chris, what's your uh, fantasy season reflection segment? Well, actually, you took mine since I'm normally like the quarterback dude. I, oh, I 100%. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I mean, it's it's good to get like different, like to know that other people are feeling the same way, at least regards to quarterback drafting, which is I think going to be 
a larger topic throughout the offseason since that's essentially, I mean, the the biggest spot for uh, for production on your team is, I mean, if you don't have a good quarterback, it's going to be very tough throughout the fantasy season. I mean, looking at folks that drafted guys like Ryan Tannehill to be like their quarterback one, they probably didn't do so hot this year. So late round or even like mid-round quarterback, it's going to be a, a pretty tough like moving forward with so many folks looking to have those rushing quarterbacks. So 100% agree with you there. Um, the, but at least from uh, my, uh, I guess, looking back on this season, uh, one of the things that I found myself doing a bit more than I had in years past is being a bit more aggressive on the waiver wire for those, let's say, backup running backs that folks weren't all too keen on picking up. So, like, remember the huge argument about picking up Elijah Mitchell in like at the after the end of week one. I mean, there's just no way. I mean, look at the draft capital that was spent on Elijah Mitchell. They drafted Trey Sermon. I mean, look at the, the fact that he was this outside zone runner at Ohio State. That's what Kyle Shanahan loves to do. I mean, of course, it's going to be Trey Sermon. I mean, Trey Sermon, Trey Sermon, Trey Sermon. And then Elijah Mitchell goes out and has, like, one of the best, I mean, running back seasons of any running back, like a rookie running back for San Francisco in some time. I mean, it's not just him, but think about – all of the other handcuff situations that we had throughout the offseason where everybody knew who was going to be the guy afterwards. It was like, oh, okay, well, there's no way that, I mean, Devonta Freeman, are you kidding me? There's no way he's going to have any value. <laughs> absolutely not. Devin Singletary, oh, he sucks. It's Zach Moss. I mean, there's absolutely no way. I mean, why would I draft, why would I draft him? I mean, so it's just like, think about all those like discussions that we had throughout the year and then look at how many times throughout, like on a week-to-week basis, that we were wrong. I mean, I mean, hell, it was what was it, week 13 or 14, when folks were we were talking about who the heck is Craig Reynolds? I mean, we've had those conversations like each week, and so understanding the backfields and trying to really, I mean, not just like understanding them from a public opinion perspective, but how does the team value them? Try and figure out like, what are those, like, what are those practice reports telling you? What are the beat reporters trying to tell you versus just taking Twitter or social media as your, as your gospel, I think would lead you to better decision-making than just saying, oh yeah, that guy sucks because I heard about them on some show on some ridiculous podcast, or, you know, I read about them here or whatever. Doing your own research might help, and that's what kind of put me on some of those other players. Outside of Craig Reynolds, I had no idea, like, where, like, I did not see that one coming at all. But the others, in doing that, I think will help you be a better fantasy manager overall and could wind up, get, find, like, putting you on league winners like that, like, in 2022. Excellent, excellent. I mean, Deontay Foreman, Rashad Penny, Amon Ross St. Brown, all those guys, a lot of those guys yep. picking up late, uh, following that along. Uh Thank you, Chris and Jen. Always a pleasure. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at the Monday Mommy, at Chris Allen FFWX, and at Two Guys Brandon. Uh, this is our last show of this season. We're probably going to take a little break and then uh, probably be back at some point. But thank you so much to all the listeners and all the uh, the members at Four for Four. Make this a fun community to be a part of. Go and enjoy the playoffs, and above all else, have a good day. <laughs>